The Gospel reading today is from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Zacchaeus, when I think of Zacchaeus up in the tree, I think of that old adage, it's lonely at the top, right? Think about Zacchaeus, how lonely he was that he climbed a tree. And I really think that part of what he was experiencing was loneliness. And I think of one of the things I've recognized and seen about uh, Seattle life sometimes we refer to as one of the, of the loneliest cities in America because people experience loneliness and not feeling connected and there's a lot uh, there's actually some research being done around that and what's happening in our city about that but I think this is actually pervasive across our culture uh, and actually not just for leaders but I think loneliness is something that we can all experience we know that leaders experience it because as you move up in organizations, and as you move closer to the top of any organization, you start to lose your peers, <laughs> and people start to look at you differently and relate to you differently, and it becomes truly lonely at the top, because you have to do things that may be unpopular, or say things that may be unpopular, and then people start to get upset and move on or get angry and things like that, and so it can be very lonely in that place. But I think that's true in America across the board. I read an article recently called Successful on the Outside, Lonely on the inside, great title, maybe they'll write a book. But here's a quote from one of the persons they interviewed for that article, it said, people keep telling me I should be grateful, I have so much, I feel guilty because I know they are right in a way. But I can't help thinking that there has to be more than this. It seems like all I do is work, watch TV, crash, and start all over again. I'm not passionate about my life or what I do, this can't be all there is. This can't be all there is. When I read that quote, I not only think of us in our culture, but I also think of Zacchaeus. He was wealthy. <laughs> in fact, he was not just sort of wealthy. He was full-on wealthy. He was 
very wealthy. He was not only the tax collector, which nobody liked a tax collector in Jesus' day. What they did was they would go to get taxes out of people for the Roman government. So they, first of all, they were considered traitors to their people because they were in league with the Roman occupying army. The other thing was is that they could go and extract money from people for different things. And then when they would get the money, if they could get more out of that person, they could keep it for themselves. So they learned to get more money out of people. So if Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, that means he not only did that to people, he also did that to the tax collectors under him. (laughs) Because whatever he kept, he was getting from the tax collectors. So he was feeding off of this whole system of tax collection, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He was very wealthy. So how do you think people in his community, in his town, in his village felt about him. How do you think they felt about Zacchaeus? You know, when Jesus is coming to town, and he's coming, and the crowd starts to gather, and Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, (laughs) is trying to break through the crowd. What do you think the people in the crowd are doing to Zacchaeus as he's trying to get to Jesus? What do you think they're doing? Uh Uh-uh, buddy, you stay back right? That he, that he was probably getting a lot of silent treatment. He was probably getting a lot of blocking out. You know when like you're in a crowd and somebody else is trying to push through and you see it's, oh, that's Zacchaeus coming. Everybody, hey, block him out. Don't let him through, right? I think that's what was going on in this moment. He was trying to get to see Jesus and he, he was trying to get to the front of the crowd so he could see, but the crowd was like, no way you're getting there. And again, like last week, we, we looked at blind, the blind man and how the crowd silenced him. And here, Zacchaeus is, is they're not silencing him, but they're saying, you're not going to be seen. We don't want to see you. So, so get out of the way, Zacchaeus. Just, just go somewhere else, Zacchaeus. We don't want you around. You're not worthy to see Jesus. You're, you're a tax collector. You're a sinner. Not only that, you're like a chief tax collector. You're the chief tax collector sinner of our town. He probably was very despised. But so he, he climbs a tree. He climbs a tree. And along comes Jesus. Now, I, I have a problem. I'm going to confess to you, uh, I'm not good with names. I, and I used to be really good with names. But here's what happens. As, as we get older, we have to hold on to more names. Has anybody figured this out yet? Like, like when I was in my 20s, it was easy. I remembered everybody's name. No problem, because I had lots of memory available. But as I age, and that memory, I meet more people and get more names, and then I, I'm starting to, you know, pack these names in. Turns out that the brain can only hold 500 pieces of information accessible at one time. You, you may have it, but it's deeply embedded somewhere, and you got to drag it out, right? So I am constantly forgetting names. I see faces. I recognize faces. That's a wonderful thing. But I'll, I'll be like, have you ever like been out of context somewhere and you're in the grocery store or something and you see somebody and you see their face and you know them and you go to church, you sit right in the same pew together or whatever, or you, you work with them and then you see them in the grocery store and they're out of context and you're like, I, I can't think. Like my brain cramped up, right? So I had this experience. I was in a coffee shop one morning and I was reading a book, having a cup of coffee, waiting for some other guys to come in that I was going to meet with. And this, 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 this strange man comes over to the table and plunks himself down across the table from me and starts to talk to me like he knows me. 
Like he knows all about my life. He knows everything going on. He knows my wife. He knows my daughter. And I'm sitting there looking at this guy going, I have no idea who this person is. I have no idea why this person is talking to me. I don't recognize his face. I don't know his name. But you know what you do? This is, this, maybe I'm letting you wait. I'm pulling back the curtain on the pastor world right here. But, but what we do is we wait. I'm like, I'm going to pick up on something. I'm just going to let him keep going until I can figure this out. And so 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by, and I'm still thinking, I, I just, it's not coming to me, right? Like I keep thinking he's going to say something that will trigger my memory, and then he'll, I'll remember his name, and then I'll be able to jump in. Yeah, Frank, yeah, that's right, great, you know. It never comes. And uh, I finally, I, I just said, you know, I have to be honest with you. I, I can't remember your name. And he goes, oh, you don't know my name. You and I have never met. And I was like, he's like, I've been watching you online for two years. So I thought, I've forgotten about technology and how technology changes things. And all of a sudden I'm like, what? You know, I've been trying to kill myself like the whole time. And he's like, yeah, we've never met. You don't know me, but I've listened to a lot, all these, these things online and everything. And he goes on and he talks about somebody saying, I was like, oh my goodness. But I was like, like in full on pastoral heart attack moment for a while. But I, I think, you know, why is that so important to know someone's name? Why is that important? Because that's how we're known. <laughs> and that's how we're seen. And that's how we're heard, right? What I love about Jesus in this situation, Zacchaeus is up in the tree and the crowd has, has basically pushed him aside. But notice what Jesus does. He sees him, and he uses his name. How did Jesus know that? <laughs> How did Jesus know Zacchaeus? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but I think it's just because it's Jesus. Like, I'm not Jesus. Thank you, right? I'm not Jesus, but that's what I love about Jesus, is that he not only sees Zacchaeus, he knows Zacchaeus, which says to us, our God knows us. Our God sees us. And, that, and I don't even think Zacchaeus needed to climb a tree because Jesus already knew him, right? But the fact that he climbs the tree is also important here. You know, I'm thinking about how he, he climbs this tree and what happens to Zacchaeus when Jesus sees him, recognizes him, knows him, right? What happens? Conversion, <laughs> on-the-spot conversion. Not be, notice that Zacchaeus doesn't make a profession of faith. He doesn't, he doesn't like say a bunch of, answer a bunch of questions saying, I believe all these things, but he's converted. In this moment, he's converted. I actually think his conversion starts the moment he climbs the tree. Now, why do I say that? Well, there's something in the Methodist world. If you haven't been around the Methodist church or you're not as familiar with Methodist understanding of God's grace and how God's grace works, we have three big words for grace. Prevenient grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. Let me unpack it real quickly. Prevenient grace, we consider what we would call the grace that goes before us. It's the grace that God uses. It's always at work in our life, and it's at work in the life of every human being. It's common grace. It is always there and available to everybody, and that God uses that and works to prepare us to get us ready, preveniently, before justifying grace. 
Justifying grace is when our conversion happens. However that happens for us and we're justified, we're put into right relationship with God because of God's justifying grace. We are justified, we are offered mercy and grace and we are put right with God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We are, that's justifying grace. And then sanctifying grace is the process by which we live into grace more and more and we experience grace more and more in a way that the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives and begins to shape and mold us. And the word sanctify means what? What does sanctify mean? To be made holy. That, that this is the other thing beautiful about God is that God accepts us the way we are, but God doesn't leave us the way we are. And that's where sanctifying grace works. But I would suggest to you that for Zacchaeus, his conversion starts the moment he climbs up the tree because of prevenient grace. It's the grace that's getting him ready for Jesus. And how does that work? Well, I, I would suggest to you this, that what's happening here is the first conversion that's happening is actually his talent, his skills. What, did he been, what, did he, what had he been using his skills and talents to do? Yes, sir. Collect money. I'm glad you're with me this morning. So you collecting money, right? He, had used, he, had, he was resourceful. He had this talent for, for being resourceful and getting money from people, right? He had used this talent quite well because he was wealthy using this skill, using this talent. But it's that same skill, it's that same talent that the Holy Spirit uses in God's grace to get him up the tree, right? Because when the crowd shows up and they block him out, right, what is Zacchaeus thinking? He's thinking he's being resourceful. He's thinking, I, I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm a problem solver. <laughs> I've learned in my business how to solve problems, how to, how to do things, how to be resourceful. So the first thing that starts to be converted in Zacchaeus and redeemed in Zacchaeus is his resourcefulness. And God uses it to get him to ignore the crowd and climb up a tree. That's resourcefulness, isn't it? That's problem solving. So the Holy Spirit is actually using something within a sinner to participate in his conversion. That's what we call provenient grace. It's amazing how that works. I think about in our conversion that God, here's the thing that I love about God too. I, I, I love a lot of things about God. You'll hear that. But is that God can take any life, any talent, any skill, any person who God knows by name and redeem them and redeem their talent and redeem their skill and take something that was used to extort money from people and use it for the kingdom. Think about that. That when God converts us, it's, it's, it's a conversion of our talents. It's a conversion of our skills. It's a conversion and a redirection of who we are for God's purposes. And we see that in Zacchaeus. Because the next thing that gets converted is what? what? What's the next thing? His wallet. His bank account. His wealth. This is the harder one, isn't it? Yeah, God, use my skills, but <laughs> don't ask for my wealth. Because when it comes to wealth, in fact, in the, it, just previously in Luke there's the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler who knows the law and knows it well and can recite the law back to Jesus, love God, love your neighbor, and he says, what more must I do to follow you, Jesus? He says, go sell everything you have and follow me, and he walks away from Jesus because he couldn't do it, 
And here we find Zacchaeus, a wealthy chief tax collector, a chief sinner who is ready to give away his wealth. Not only is his talent converted, but his wallet is converted. He gives what? He gives half of his possessions to the poor. I want you to think about that for a moment. Let, let's, let, let's, let's put ourselves in that place. I want you to think right now, how, what do you have right now? What are all your possessions? Do you have a, do you have a house, a place to live? How many cars do you have? Boats, bikes, motorcycles, what else? What else do you have? This is group participation time. <laughs> what else do you have? What's that? TVs. How many TVs? Think about how many TVs you have. What else do you have? Second home. Yeah, good. Thank you. Books. Books. You want to give away half your children? All right, good. All right. That's your dad. Not, yeah, that's your dad. Books. Oh, my goodness. Go into my office. Right? Books. Now you're starting to hit home. Let's, let's not go there, right? Clothes. Closets. Storage facilities. I want you to kind of just take a moment to inventory everything you have. And I want you to imagine taking half of that and going to the auction house and auctioning it all away. And then giving the money from the auction house to someone in need. That's what Zacchaeus did. That's conversion of a wallet. Then he adds to it. Because why? What's happening? What did the crowd do? The crowd began to mutter. They began to complain. Oh, there he goes again, that Jesus, hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And the same thing we heard in the Luke passage with the, with the Pharisees and the, and the lost coin a few weeks ago. Same thing. But now it's not, the, not just the religious leaders, it's the people. It's the crowd that's saying this. And they're saying it. And so he says, and it's interesting because what Zacchaeus does is he actually is defending Jesus now. He went from, from not defending, to, to seeing Jesus, to defending Jesus. You know, Jesus doesn't even answer the crowd. Zacchaeus answers the crowd for him. And he does it with his conversion, with his salvation. And he answers back and he says, if I've cheated anybody, which was a lot of people, he says, I'm going to pay back not twice, or one, the law in, in Numbers actually said he was to pay back what he extorted and then a, an additional 20% interest on top of that. But what does he do? He says, I'm going to pay back four times that amount. Four times. So think about that. He had cheated a lot of people. So what is he doing to his bank account? He, he's drawing it down pretty good. He's taking his wealth, and it is a conversion of wealth for Zacchaeus. So that's what's happening to his money. You know, I find that this is one of the hardest parts of conversion, even for myself. Because I've talked to many people and along the way, and they've said, you know, I really feel like God wants me to do A, B, C, whatever. I really feel like God's called me to do this, but, but I can't afford it. I can't afford to actually do what God is calling me to do. I've got too many responsibilities. I've got, I've got things to think about. And so this money actually holds us back sometimes. And this is hard. I, I, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm, I'm guilty of it. I can tell you about one glimmering, shining moment in my life where I got this right. I don't get it right all the time. But it was actually in college, and I don't know if I've shared this before, but I was actually going to become a psychologist, a psychiatrist. 
Now, as a young man going through college, getting my degree in psychology, anticipating, I was thinking two things. I want to help people, and I want to make money. How can I do that? What, what profession could I turn, you know, and I, my apologies to any psychiatrist, psychologist in a crowd today. This is not about that. But, but then God said, Matt, I want you to be a pastor. And you know what my response to God was on that one? No, 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 no. They don't make any money, God. I, I, I can't fulfill my dream of being wealthy as a pastor. And, and I, but don't you want to help people, Matt? Yeah, 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 I want to help people, but I, you know, I, I can't, you know. And so in my little, you got to remember, this is college age brain. Not, no, again, I'm offending people, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> just, just wait, just wait till you, you'll get there. Don't worry, you, just give it a few years. You'll figure it out. All right, so, but, but in my college mind, in my, in my young world, I was thinking, oh yeah, this is how to get rich quick. I've talked to a lot of psychologists that it's not the way to do it. But, but the point is, is that some point in what God was asking me to do, I had to relinquish wealth. And basically my prayer was kind of a prayer that maybe you pray, and I'm not proud of the prayer, but I said, God, all right, God, I'll do this as long as you take care of me. I'll do this as long as you provide for me. It, it won't, it, in the bottom line, I'm going to let go of my pursuit of wealth so that I can pursue you. And I'm just going to trust you with that, God. I'm just going to trust you. Now, it's a lot easier to do when you're in college than when you've got kids and a family and responsibilities. But I think about that. There, there's something going on in the soul. There's something going on in the inner person, that we have, to, we have to start to address that. It doesn't mean that we have to give everything away. We don't need to do what Zacchaeus does, but we have to address the power of wealth within our own hearts and within our own lives and convert it to God's purposes. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever that looks like for me, we have to be thinking that way. How does God want to convert this in me? And I think that's an important thing for us to do because really, the biblical understanding of wealth is this. To be wealthy is to be fully resourced. I want you to think about that. Fully resourced. Are you fully resourced right now? Do you have food that you can eat? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have clothes, more than one set of clothes? Do you have transportation? Do you have the ability to go to a movie? Do you have the ability to read a book? Do you, you're wealthy. Can we just admit that? We are wealthy. I'm wealthy. You're wealthy. We're all wealthy. For, the, for most of us, not all of us, but most of us are wealthy, according to the Bible. And God can convert it for God's purposes. Redeem it. Redeem us and redeem everything we own. But I, the thing we learn from Zacchaeus here, and the really thing we learn, we're learning from Jesus through all these passages is this, that belonging leads to believing. Do you see that in Zacchaeus? Jesus saw him, recognized him, and said what? I want to come to your house for dinner, Zacchaeus. I want to be in your presence, Zacchaeus. I want to spend time with you, Zacchaeus. So what has happened is Zacchaeus goes from being an outcast by the crowd to being welcomed by the Son of God. Someone knows his name. 
and he welcomes him to, into his house. He was just excited that he wasn't going to be lonely anymore. He was belonging when he was lonely. <laughs> and everything else kind of falls by the wayside, doesn't it? Remember? <laughs> you know, everything else doesn't matter anymore because now he has a relationship with Jesus. And that's the conversion that happens because he is belonging. Now, I know that the Seattle Mariners are not in the playoffs, as some of you predicted. That's a joke, by the way. But I want to take you back in Major League Baseball history. Do we have any baseball fans here at all? Any baseball? All right. This is good for me to know. So, and a Major League Baseball went on strike in the, the end of the 1994 season. Major League Baseball went on strike. You remember a guy named Goose, the Goose, right? Some of you who are old-time Mariners fans, right? He never got to retire because that was his last season. And in the 95 season, as they were starting, the major league players were on strike, the minor league players were on strike, and so the coaches and the managers, everybody got together and they called up all the retired players, said, hey, can you come play baseball this season? They called up old coaches, they called up former baseball coaches, they called up former college players, and they just started recruiting for the 95 season, and they sent them to spring training. And they were getting ready to start the season with these replacement players. Some of the coaches, one of the coaches made a comment that he could shell 12 peanuts by the time the ball made it from the outfield to home plate. <laughs> Another manager kept, kept, kept complaining that the, the pitches weren't showing up on the radar gun. And that they were tired of watching these guys, out of shape guys, run around the bases huffing and puffing and getting out of breath just going to first base. Some would say, and I would say a lot of people probably at that point said they don't belong. <laughs> but you know what happened to these guys? They stayed every time they played to the end until the groundskeepers left. They just loved being on the field, hanging around the stadium, hanging out the locker room. They would line, there were more players lining up for autographs than people wanting their autographs. <laughs> right? They, they were constantly thanking people and enjoying the moment and thanking people that were serving them food. They were thanking the catering service for a hot dog, a ballpark dog that we've all had and we keep saying we'll never have again. But they were thankful for those hot dogs, right? They're thankful for all these things. And nobody complained when the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians traded five players for nothing. There was no cost. Nobody made any money. And nobody complained about it. No contracts. No negotiations. What happened? They belonged. They felt like they belonged. And they were just so happy to belong. <laughs> they gave up their lives. They gave up everything to go play baseball. I think about that. This, how this power of belonging. That they would give up everything to play baseball. Wow. Zacchaeus was willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. He was willing to give it away just so he could be with Jesus. I think about that, right? You think about this being seen, being heard, being valued. Jesus sums it up at the end of the passage. He says this. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Not the professionals. Not the people who had it all together. 
Not the people who knew how to play the game, but the people who we knew would just love being on the field, would just love being in the game, who would have gratitude and who were willing to give up everything to follow him and to be a part of his kingdom. And that's what it's about, folks. That's what it's about. But people need to belong before they'll believe. And Zacchaeus reminds us of that. Let's pray together.